Hi everyone, this is Dave from Geekanoids and welcome to another Geek Out with Geekanoids for Friday 27th of March 2015. Now if you listen to the podcast regularly, you'll know that there was no podcast last week. That was because I had a couple of business trips to do. One of them was actually attending a technology event in London called CU Exposed. And it was a really nice event to attend. It was a gathering of, I would say, between 40 and 60 technology companies. And they were showing their sort of latest releases for 2015. In fact, I did actually publish a video covering the event on the channel late last week. So do check that out. It gives you a look around the event and also some of the highlights for me. And it was just really nice to meet some of the people that had been sending in products to feature on the Geekanoids channel. Some familiar faces, some people that I'd never met in the eight or nine years of making videos for Geekanoid. So it's really nice to meet them in person and a nice day out altogether. Now, just to give you a recap as well about some of the videos I published this week on the channel, it included a couple of top five videos. Now, I've got a couple more top five videos already recorded, which I'll be launching on the channel very soon. And then that's it for now. So if you have got any feedback as to what top five videos you would like me to record and publish, then do get in touch with me via Twitter. You can tweet me at Geekanoids. And I'm always happy to take on board suggestions and possibly turn them into videos in the future. I also did a couple of watch reviews, the Earnshaw Robinson and a really nice dive watch from Christopher Ward, so please do check that out. And also a really nice white PC case. Now, normally when you're looking at PC cases, uh, you more often than not end up with like a black box, either under your desk hidden away because it looks not that great, or it's just too cumbersome to have on display. Well, I did a, a video on a Nanoxia Deep Silence 5 Revision B case, and it's in a really nice white, very, very nicely made, and it would be awesome if you could check that video out as well. One of the surprise products that I actually published to the channel uh, was the unboxing and first impressions and a look at the camera on the new HTC One M9. And I've been really impressed by this smartphone, I really have. Uh, I've only had it a couple of days now, and I'm sort of part way through my review process on it. But it's one of the first smartphones that's come in that's not manufactured by Apple, so it's not an iPhone, that I think can really challenge the iPhone for build quality, features, performance, and almost, and I say almost, uh, challenge the camera performance. Now, a lot of reviewers were using early uh, release handsets to base their review on. And I was lucky enough to wait until uh, HTC pushed out a firmware update to improve camera performance. Now, admittedly, the camera is not fantastic in low light and it does get the colors wrong sometimes. But for the most part, you're getting a lot of detail a very good performing camera as well. It focuses really quickly and produces really pleasing shots. Now, admittedly, again, the photographs don't pop, you know, they're not oversaturated with color, but they do look quite natural and they do contain a lot of detail. So 
these reviews are saying the camera is the big letdown, you know, and it's a good smartphone apart from the camera. I think they should revisit their tests after this firmware upgrade has been applied to their particular HTC ones and maybe do an update just to update people that maybe the camera isn't as bad as they first uh, thought it was. Uh, and HTC have also done a great job on their Sense UI with the HTC One M9. It used to be really intrusive. When I reviewed HTC smartphones before, I used to find that the Sense UI really got in the way of the Google Android experience, and it was so, so heavily skinned. You know, the, the user interface was uh, very cumbersome, but they've streamlined it over the years. And this latest version, I think it's up to version seven now, is really pleasant to use. I've been very, very surprised both by the Sense UI and the hardware as a whole. You know, it's a really nice, luxurious flagship smartphone. And I will be working on my review over the next few days, over the weekend as well, uh, familiarizing myself a bit more with the HTC One M9. And then I'll try and get my review up on the Geek and Noise channel uh, early next week. So we've got plenty more to talk about in this week's podcast and you've got three more topics to sit down and listen to purely because I didn't publish anything last week. So here we go. The first one is really in response to viewer questions. I get a lot on Twitter and Facebook and indeed on the Geek Noise YouTube channel and that is asking what I actually use to edit my videos. Now with regards to hardware I use a late 2013 Mac Pro it's a 3.5 gigahertz 6-core Intel Xeon E5 processor, 32 gigabytes of RAM, and it's also got 512 gigabytes of flash storage installed internally in the Mac Pro. And yes, it's the Mac Pro that looks like a trash can for those of you who are wondering. With regards to graphics, I used to have the entry-level model, but I experienced some issues with the hardware. There was a fault with my previous Mac Pro, and Apple upgraded me free of charge to the next model up, which has got the AMD Fire Pro D700 GPUs inside. And that has really increased performance, especially when it comes to video processing. Now I mentioned it's got 512 gigabytes of internal flash storage. I don't use that for video editing. That's purely for the operating system and my applications. All of my video files are actually taken off of my uh, video camera or memory cards and they're transferred onto a Lacie five big Thunderbolt array of hard drives. And I've got nine terabytes of storage in there for actually doing editing on. And then a further six terabytes of storage which I use for backing up. Now, you might wonder why there's that disparity between the size of the main sort of portion of the hard drive and the backup. That's because I never use it to full capacity. I always have to leave some room there for uh, file caches, etc., and really to keep the performance up on the hard drive. So the six terabytes of backup is absolutely fine. And then when I've finished actually recording videos and editing them and exported them and uploaded them to YouTube, I then back up those video files again to an external network attached storage device. I use a Synology. DS415 Play and I also back up remotely as well off-site and to the cloud so three different backups. To actually edit the videos I use Final Cut Pro 10 on my Mac and for creating my thumbnails I use Photoshop. 
So there you go, that's basically what I use for actually editing and producing the videos. For recording them, I use a combination of three cameras now. I use my Panasonic DMC GH4, which is a micro four thirds camera. That's my main production camera. I use a Canon PowerShot Power G7X, which is my new camera that I use for my daily videos. And I've just added a Panasonic VX870. And this is a 4K camcorder, so it's sort of a compact handycam type camera. And uh, that was got in to actually do a review on and to share my findings with the viewers on the Geekinoids channel. But that is going to form part of my production uh, suite of cameras. So it's sort of like a backup camera uh, or when I need to do a quick news update video. It's a lot quicker to grab that than to set up the GH4. So that's it with regards to production equipment. Now I want to move on just to talk a little bit about reorganising my channels. Now again, I've already published a video about this, but I wanted to share with you my thought process a little bit and the recent reorganisation of videos that I publish. When I first started Geekanoids, it was just obviously the one channel. And it got to a certain stage where I wanted to share more varied content. So I actually split it off into a couple of extra channels as well, the Daily Tech TV channel for answering Q&A questions, and also the Geek Vlogs channel for sharing my personal videos. I wanted to do that because I thought it made things easier. You know, I thought it made it more organised. But YouTube, as a company, are really keen for you to have just one channel. Uh, they made this change a couple of years back. And they want you to have one channel for all of your content and use the organisation of playlists to sort of create a virtual library of videos. Now, I still wasn't convinced and I moved, I moved my videos backwards and forwards. I went back to one channel and then I split it off into three channels again. And just recently I thought, this is very, very confusing for the viewer. And it makes my main channel uh, quite sort of sterile, not as personal. So I made the decision probably over about a three or four week period that I was going to bring all of the content back onto the one channel and even put my personal videos on the Geek and Noise channel as well because it gives you an insight into my day-to-day -day world as well which revolves around technology for a lot of the time. And then the only thing I wanted to sort of separate was my love for uh, sort of luxury brands and also timepieces. I really do like watches and I've got a small collection of watches and I share with you other watches I look at and consider actually adding to my collection. And I thought, well, that isn't really technology-based. So it made sense to keep the Geekinoids channel for all of my technology focus and all of my personal videos and just separate off onto a brand new channel called Luxury Lifestyle uh, just to cover the watches and my passion for these uh, different brands that I enjoy experiencing. And um, I think that's going to work really well going forwards. And the new channel has got some great feedback already. And, uh, well, I, I owe that all to the Geekanoids viewers, really. They show me a great deal of support. And um, I think it's exciting times ahead. And it just made sense to, to reorganise things for 2015. And, um, and, and, yeah, I think it was the right decision. Uh, it's nice to be organised. I believe in organising my days very well. I have quite a sort of a, a busy schedule. 
So I like to have the way I do my video production very, very organized. So it was important that I had my uh, videos organized on two separate channels uh, to, to make both myself happy uh, and confident going forwards, but also to make it easier for my viewers to actually find different types of content that I produce. So the final topic for this week's podcast is the changing face of online video. Now, I just recently published an article on the Geekanoids website about how YouTube is not working for content creators. And I wanted to quantify that before talking about a few other uh, subjects around this particular area. Now, when I was referring to content creators, I wasn't referring to everyone. I was referring to content creators that publish videos or online content as a full-time job. I'm not talking about the smaller channels, maybe somebody who's got a job and who's producing content part-time, or maybe a younger content creator who's producing videos as a hobby, which is how I started off when I started the Geekanoise channel. Now, these smaller content creators are very, very passionate, and they've got a, a really valid place on YouTube and on other platforms as well. But there comes a stage, I think, in everyone's career, uh, if they're interested in sharing online content, that they really want to turn it into a full-time job. And that's what happened for me. When I started off Geek Noise, I did it because I was passionate. I wanted to share my knowledge for technology. And that was all that was important. And as I got more and more views and more and more feedback, I thought, hey, I can do this full time, I can do what I love all the time, but to do that, you need to produce an income. Now, YouTube pay advert revenue for adverts served on videos that are published by content creators. And if you're a YouTube partner, you get 55% of the revenue, YouTube get 45% of the revenue. Absolutely fine, good deal, you know that when you go into uh, this sort of business. There was also the opportunity within videos to get external sponsors. So you might have a video sponsored by a certain company and you could put up an advert for them and charge them accordingly, another revenue stream. This was recently changed. YouTube changed their terms and conditions or in fact made their terms and conditions uh, public that indeed you can't uh, publish a video with a sponsor at the beginning uh, or indeed any way through the video with a sort of graphical element or their logo on the screen and they're putting in place uh, algorithms or a certain piece of technology that will know when you do this. They want the advertiser to deal with YouTube Direct and then publish their advert on your, the content creator's video and YouTube want their share of the revenue, which is fair enough because YouTube are providing a free platform so this has got a lot of the big content creators really worried because they were reliant on external sponsors. And some content creators, myself included, now use Patreon uh, to uh, publish videos early or indeed to publish bonus uh, content, be that in written form or various other perks, in return for our core viewer base uh, supporting us with a monthly contribution. And that works very well. It works for the most part. Some people have got very, very successful Patreon campaigns. 
and it gives you another revenue stream. Now, just recently, uh, over the past few days, a new online video service has launched uh, from a company called Vessel. And this allows uh, the top 100, it seems, at launch content creators to share their content three or four days early before it goes onto YouTube. And the viewer who signs up to the Vessel platform actually pays a uh, $2.99 or $3.00 uh, per month uh, subscription fee to use the service and then the content creator actually receives a sign-up fee initially for everyone who signs up through their link and they also earn advert revenue for the three or four days that the video is exclusive to the Vessel platform and then that video ends up on their regular YouTube channel or whichever platform they decide to use. So this is a new take on how things are being done and a new platform. It's not for everyone and obviously the channels that are on there at the moment are uh, quite a small selection. But as this rolls out to other content creators, it makes me really think as to whether there's any longevity in it. You know, is, is Vessel really going to uh, pull in enough of an audience to make enough of a difference to content creators that are putting their videos on the platform? One of the areas that I think really should be on your radar is Facebook video. Now, Facebook video has got a great engagement and uh, from some of the other people I've spoken to, when they put a video up on Facebook, they get a lot of traction with the video and a lot of views. Obviously, no monetization, but it's a platform that you can publish to to at least let people know that you are on YouTube. You know, people don't necessarily need to sub subscribe to your YouTube channel, but they might be frequenting Facebook a lot and stumble across your video. And then that sends them to your channel. So it's a, another area that content creators can look to, to really publicize what they do. And then we've got the likes of uh, this Meerkat video, which is sort of instant publishing via Twitter. And in fact, Twitter's own application, which had launched just this morning as I was recording this, called Periscope, which allows you to live stream via Twitter. And it seems like once you have actually uh, broadcast the particular stream or video that you're, you're uh, doing for your audience, that it sort of disappears after that. So sort of the Snapchat of Twitter, for want of a better explanation. But again, it's a, another platform that uh, content creators can push out impromptu videos, not necessarily their main content, and it's a really good way of engaging with new audiences. And for the future of video to really exist, we all have to embrace these new services and we have to be prepared to support our content creators. It's very, very important because otherwise what you're gonna see, and I really strongly believe this, is if we don't support our content creators, we're gonna see a platform such as YouTube be more or less full of cat videos or babies biting babies' fingers, you know, Charlie bit my finger scenario, or people screaming at their screens while they play video games, which might be entertaining in the short term, but in the long term, it really threatens the uh, future and existence of really good online video content. And using myself as an example again, I believe that the content I produce uh, is of real value and 
I think that if we get enough good content online and it's done in the right way, it can challenge and indeed is already challenging traditional broadcasting. It would be a shame if it goes wrong uh, purely because people expect free content all the time. You know, it's time to really support what you love. And, and yes, of course, it is optional. And yes, of course, there will always be free content out there. But it's all about the quality of that content. So it's really worth thinking about. So that's it for this week's podcast. Thank you very, very much for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you've got any questions, best way to contact me is via Twitter. You can tweet me at Geekanoids. And as always, if you don't watch or subscribe to the main Geekanoids channel, please do check that out as well at youtube.com forward slash Geekanoids. Thanks very much for listening. I will be back next week for another Geek Out with Geekanoids.